Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. We are on a journey of lament through Lent, where we've been listening and lamenting together the pain in our own lives and the pain that we witness around us. We've also been paying attention to the groaning of the Holy Spirit who joins us in our pain. Through our Love and Lent series, we've been encouraged to lament personal pain, to lament divisions and hurts in the body of Christ, as well as to lament one another's suffering. It's been quite a journey so far. But what about the pain and suffering at a larger societal scale? What about national or global suffering? What about the rampant evil of human trafficking or the hidden rot of domestic violence or the devastating substance abuse? What about that? What about widespread famine? What about contaminated drinking water? What about the alarming extinction rates of songbirds? How about the loss of arable land for subsistence family, family farms or the destructive pressure we see happening on wildlife habitats? What about persistent racial violence? What about the COVID pandemic and all the direct as well as the ripple effect suffering that has come from this pandemic? We could keep going, couldn't we? The erupting political violence in Myanmar, the relentless subjugation of women in Saudi Arabia, as well as the lack of basic resources for many of our northern indigenous communities. How are we to respond to these kinds of massive, overwhelming suffering or pain or evil or loss? We must lament. This week, I, like many of you, was struck again by the suffering of our Asian brothers and sisters, people who, if you've read history at all, know these people have been mocked, vilified, erased, declared perpetual foreigners, even if they've lived here generations longer than others have. And this horrific shooting in Atlanta reminded us of the ways that Asian women in particular have been fetishized and abused for decades here in North America. I spent time this week listening, reading, engaging with some of my own fellow covenant pastors this week, some of whom are Asian women as well as Asian men and others, as they cried out to be seen, to be known, for their experience to be validated and acknowledged. And as I was listening to them and hearing them, they're helping me feel an ache to lament this ungodly, persistent evil that we often don't even see. 
the ways that Asian people in particular have been targeted and harmed during the COVID pandemic grieves the heart of God. But it's rooted, and we can't miss this, in deeper historical hatred and xenophobia. And that's just this week. Lord, have mercy. There's just so much pain, isn't there? I'm not sure that we even know what to do with most of it. I'm not sure I do. It's overwhelming and it tempts me at least to kind of avoid it, you know? Scroll past or ignore or even explain away. But we can't do that. We can't just look away from these things. We need to see them. We need to listen and we need to lament. And some of you know, I've been working hard personally to hear the story of our indigenous peoples here in Canada as well as the U.S. This has been quite a journey for me for many years. My heart nearly stopped when I first read D. Brown's history, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, a horrifying history of the Native American people, mainly between the years 1860 to 1890. It's a hair-raising, gut-wrenching account that actually will change your life. It changed mine. In the context of growing friendships with indigenous men and women, as well as reading histories like Brown's and others, have set me on a journey of sorts where I've been trying to listen in humility and with sorrow, as well as appreciation and grace to their story. And I am slowly, slowly, slowly coming to a place where I'm able to lament for, maybe even lament with, the suffering of our indigenous brothers and sisters, some of which stretches so many centuries back into the past. I know I still have a long ways to go overcoming my own racial bias and bigotry. I know I do. I am of British heritage, after all, and the idea that we were divinely appointed to rule the entire world doesn't go away easily. One of my most recent laments has been for missing and murdered Indigenous women, in particular along the northern BC Highway 16. It sort of stretches, you know, Fort St. John through Tara Smithers all the way to Prince Rupert. It's been dubbed the Highway of Tears because of the many precious lives that have been lost along that highway. Jessica McDermott, uh, who was raised in Smithers, right along that highway, introduces us in her book, Highway of Tears, to the vibrant lives of these girls. And make no mistake, many of them are girls, as well as women who were so precious and so loved, and yet suddenly disappeared and were never, most of them, found. Through her good work, Jessica helps us come to know these girls, to hear their stories, to come to know these women so that we can begin to feel the loss and the sorrow, the ache and the rage and the hurt and the devastation that these families experience and still carry many years later. And we see the ways that their disappearances and deaths have shaped these families, have gutted these families, and the reality of the evil and the suffering that still persists. Well, I've been reading these stories with my 
during my morning time with Jesus. Um, after my, my daily scripture reading, I then take, a, a, take up this book and I'd read a chapter uh, out of this book which usually uh, focused on one particular girl or woman or, and her family. And then I'd go from there to my time of meditation and prayer. And I, as I've been doing that, I've been praying very specifically, Lord Jesus, help me. These girls, they're created in your image. These are women that you made for yourself. You adore them as your beloved daughters. Help me to lament their suffering, their hurt, their final moments, their death. Help me to feel your revulsion toward this evil and help me to feel within myself even just a glimmer of the kind of family pain that has been endured. Help me to feel your heart for them. That was my prayer. And I've got to tell you, it's been affecting me. Lamenting is no light thing. I find that I'm praying for and thinking about these families and about these girls a lot. You know, I grew up in northern Alberta alongside uh, many indigenous folks, and I found myself drifting kind of backwards and forwards and wondering about them too. I pray a lot when I run. I pray for you. I pray for the church. I pray for other friendships. But increasingly, I've been praying for these families, praying for girls and women like them who are vulnerable and often um, under underseen and, and, and for whatever reason um, not noticed. A few weeks ago, uh, during one of our leadership team check-ins, I was sharing um, that I'd been feeling a bit low for a few weeks. And, you know, there's lots of reasons why that might be. And COVID and all the stress and figuring stuff, you know, seasonal, you know, whatever. But I was sharing that. As many of you know, I monitor my mental health pretty carefully uh, because a few years ago, I, I, re- I was into depression quite a few months before I even realized it was happening. And so I try to pay, you know, careful attention to that. I kind of monitor it carefully and I'm honest about it with those who are around me. Well, in that very same conversation, I was also sharing with the leadership team some of what I'd been learning about these women, about these missing and murdered indigenous girls and women and how I'd been asking the Spirit to help me lament the loss of these precious people. And it was Amanda Terpstra, one of our leaders with great discernment, who made the connection between the two. She just said it flat out. She said, well, uh, could it be that the way you've been feeling is connected to the lament? I mean, could it be that the Holy Spirit is answering your prayer? And you know, she's right. Uh, she, she put it together. I think that's a lot of what was going on. The Spirit of God leads us to lament. And as we listen and as we feel these stories of loss and suffering, that experience of lament is an experience that's not unlike some aspects of depression. Don't get me wrong, it's not the same thing. I, I, I don't want to suggest that. But when we're grieving, when we feel within ourselves the impact 
of that kind of darkness, that kind of devastating loss, that, that lingering ache, we can feel it in ways that can lay us quite low. And when the Holy Spirit of God groans within us for the loss and the violence and the brokenness and the evil and the suffering that continues to destroy His precious creation, we ourselves can feel a kind of groaning as a, as a shared grief, a kind of mutual lament with the Holy Spirit Himself. And rather than duck that darkness or numb that pain, which is what we often do, I do, the Spirit may ask us to stay there, to grieve with Him, to groan together with the Spirit for the shattered, lost, hurting, precious lives. All of that is to say this. We're called to share in the lament of the Holy Spirit for His precious creation. As God's people, we have a divinely ordered role to play in His broken, groaning world. In some ways, today's teaching isn't bringing anything new to light, although you might hear some things you haven't put together before. Really, what I'm doing is taking what we've already been exploring and I'm applying it now to these more global things that we see every day, that we witness going on around us. As we do that, I want to pray for us so that we can receive what the Holy Spirit has for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister to us now, that you would lead us into your heart of lament for your world. May we be open to receive what you have for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So, if we have a God-ordained role to play in this broken, groaning creation, what is it? We are called to be a royal priesthood in Christ. A royal priesthood? You might think, what? Like, what do you mean by that? And depending on your background, the idea or the image of a priest can conjure up ideas that might not even be that helpful. But being the creator's royal priests is a biblical vocation that we need to own. The kind of priest I'm talking about here isn't connected to the medieval priests in Europe or, or the modern-day priesthood you might see or know from your own background within the Catholic or Orthodox churches. It's not connected to monks and monasteries and rituals and robes. Rather, God's people as a royal priesthood is actually connected all the way back to God's original intent for all of humanity. God created us as his human images, male and female, that we would be his priests in creation. To stand and to worship and to stoop and to work as his intermediary beings, bridging heaven and earth as part of God's created order. You know, we're created from the dirt itself. As well as endowed with God's divine image. Remember, from Genesis 1, 26, God himself saying, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign. 
over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now, though the early chapters of Genesis don't use the word priest, it's long been recognized by scholars of the ancient Near East and those ancient scriptures and those creation stories that the creation stories of Genesis 1 and 2 are loaded with temple-building motifs, with priestly images, with a worship setting, depicting a creator who makes a world as his temple and then plants within that world a worship garden and places his human images in that garden to rule and reign as his representatives. They will reign represents a royal and a priestly vocation. And we're going to hear it again. But God's plan was frustrated by human rebellion. Rather than living up to our role as reigning priests, humanity fell under the sway of evil powers that led us into ruin. But God didn't give up. But rather, he set out to reestablish a royal line of kingdom priests. First, through calling one man and one family, Abraham, through whom the whole world would be blessed. And when Abraham's family had grown and grown and grown and spent hundreds of years in slavery and then were rescued out of Egypt and they finally stood before Mount Sinai to receive God's first covenant with them, God reiterated his plan saying to his newly rescued people, and I quote, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God rescued his people in order to call them back into their vocation as his royal priests to reign with him on earth. Well, if you aren't familiar with the story from there, you need to know this. It didn't work. God's rescued people, like their original parents, failed to be God's royal priests. But again, most beautifully, God does not give up. He has a much larger plan in place because it's through his people that his royal priest came. Jesus Christ, born of Mary, comes as the divine Son of God and, of, and as humanity's one hope. Jesus, fully human, takes upon himself our divinely ordained vocation as royal priests. The one that we failed to fulfill, Jesus became for us what we had failed to be. The one true human who would truly bridge heaven and earth who would stand and worship and stoop and work as the true human, the true Son of God, revealing through himself all that God had intended for us. Within the context of the many centuries of old covenant priesthood, Jesus now comes as a new kind of priest, a great high priest who not only surpasses the first covenant worship categories, but fulfills God's original call upon us. And it's critical that we get this. Jesus as our great high priest. He he not only is our covenant mediator, he not only is the perfect sacrifice, but he truly fulfills our vocation to be a royal priesthood. In Jesus Christ, humanity is restored to its rightful place. Now there's a human who really is being who God had called us to be. But Jesus didn't do that to take our vocation away from us. As though it's like, fine, you guys couldn't do it. I'll do it. I'll keep it to myself. That's not what Jesus did. 
Rather, he does it so that now we, in Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, we could finally be the royal priests that God had always intended us to be. Famously, the Apostle Peter drives this whole thing home using temple imagery, uh, uh, temple imagery for Jesus, temple imagery for us as his church, when he said this. Um, he said, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, listen to this, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later, uh, the Apostle Peter comes back to it even more explicitly saying, you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church. He's using the language that was applied to the covenant people of God way back in Exodus, and now he's applying it to us. He's saying, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, I know I've been sweeping through the big story, and you know I like to do that. I do that because it's important that we see how even the way we lament evil and suffering today fits in to God's original calling to us, how it is an expression of our role as his royal priest. This is worldview stuff, and it's super important that we get it because it influences not only how we think about God and each other, but how we view the world, how we respond to evil and suffering as it's going on around us. One more scripture to complete the picture. It goes right toward the end. In Revelation chapter 5, it's set within this big throne room of worship and glory, and there's lots of stuff happening, and who is worthy? We sang that last week. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And it's the Lamb. And the Lamb comes, and he takes the scroll from the right hand of the man, the, the one who sits upon the throne, and he opens it, and everything, you know, rolls out from there. But when he does that, from Revelation chapter 5, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one of them had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Get this, because it ties in. The golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you, the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God peoples from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. They will reign. Genesis 1 to Revelation 5 and on to the very end of Revelation. And then, and then the last verse uh, in 5.11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 eyes. You all caught that. But God's intention here is clear. He rescued all these people from all these tribes and languages and nations and peoples from all over the world and down through history and made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve him as they reigned on the earth. This is a full arc from Genesis to Revelation. Through the people of God and made possible only through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Friends, covenanters, seekers. We need to let our vocation, our vocation in Christ as his royal priesthood 
influence how we respond to evil and suffering that is going on around us. The brokenness in God's creation. Because you see, our identity influences our action. Who we are influences how we respond. For those of us who are just learning about Jesus, maybe haven't yet committed to following him, are just seeking him, so glad you're here. You're hearing some big ideas today, but it's crucial because what you discover is that Christianity clearly teaches that God didn't just rescue people through Jesus to sort of pull them out of earth and move them on somewhere and who cares of what's going on. No. What we discover is that humans have been rescued by God so that they can actually bring his kingdom to earth. They can actually represent and rule for him. Jesus steps into our failure, yes, becoming what we couldn't be on our own, but then he offers it back to us so that we are now his royal priests, beginning even now to rule and to reign with Christ on the earth as the Spirit works his new creation in us, anticipating even in our groaning, even in our lament, that there is a full reality that's coming when all the earth will be renewed for the glory of God, when all evil and suffering will be done, when every tear will be wiped from the eyes because God truly has destroyed death and the new creation has fully come. So what about now? Back to our opening question. How do we respond as God's royal priests to the brokenness of his creation? I spent time leading us through this biblical story because we need our minds renewed around these things. If we don't have God's intention for us and for his world, front and center, we will get distracted. We will begin interpreting what's going on around us in ways that aren't framed through God's intention, revealed to us in Scripture, and ultimately revealed to us through Jesus Christ. If we don't get really clear on how Jesus is the perfect human image, that Jesus is the ultimate royal priest who did this on our behalf and now calls us into his vocation, if we don't get that clear, we're going to miss what we're supposed to be doing now. So how do we apply this? What do we do with this now? What does this mean for us? Well, let's be clear. To be God's royal priest, in the context of a world filled with evil and suffering, we must embrace our role as priestly intercessors. All the references to our priestly work as God's people starts with a role as prayers, as worshipers. You can see it all over the place which means that we stand as human beings and we face the God who loves us and rescued us and called us to follow his son. We face the God who has given us of his Holy Spirit and is making us into his people. We give praise to him for who he is. And within that same context, context, we lift our voices on behalf of the world that he loves. The Apostle Paul, when he was challenging a younger pastor named Timothy, he said, I urge, first of all, that, that everyone make petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he says, look, this is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved, rescued, transformed, right? And to come 
to a knowledge of the truth. Petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. We stand as God's royal priests and we pray. We petition, we pray, we intercede. And all of that, friends, often takes the form of lament. It's exactly what we've been exploring in this series. Depending on the need, depending on the evil, depending on the suffering, the injustice, the violence, depending on what's going on that continues to destroy the lives of men and women and children, we lament, we intercede, we stand for, we pray for, we call out, we rage out to God to make a difference, to make a change on behalf of those who are suffering. And yes, we also praise and thank God for the way He's at work the way he will not let injustice go unanswered, the way death will not win. We praise God for his ongoing care and his ongoing intervention. We praise God for the way he is moving us to respond. We must embrace our role as priestly intercessors. What does that mean? I mean, practically speaking, I'm working this out myself. I know it means this. We need to face the suffering that's happening around us. We must not just ignore it or disregard it. And we, and we really can't be defending it or trying to explain it away. You know, one of the challenges that's going on right now with the um, conversations about racial prejudice, about uh, hate uh, and, and you know, anti, for example, anti-Asian racism, anti-black racism, is that we have people who are insistent on I would say, dismissing the experiences of our own brothers and sisters when they're sharing their experiences of suffering and prejudice and racism. This we cannot do. We must listen to our brothers and sisters. Listen to the people who are suffering. Acknowledge their pain. Face the suffering. Enter into it so that we can hear it and feel it. Lament it intercede on behalf of those who are suffering. We have to face it, as difficult and uncomfortable as that might be. And as we are facing that suffering, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to groan His laments within us. We need to ask boldly, Holy Spirit, let me feel this. Let me experience this. Groan within me. Take the time for that. Open yourself up to that. Now, I realize that we can't all feel it all, right? Of course not. Only the Spirit can do that. And then there are different people and different people within the body of Christ, and there's there's reasons why we resonate perhaps with different things. And and the Holy Spirit calls some of us to, to really dig in and lament a certain area of suffering in the world, not to disregard other areas, but there might be a certain area where you just, oh, the Holy Spirit has called you to, 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 to intercede on behalf of, of, of kids who are starving or, or, or an area of the world that is facing persecution or, or maybe, maybe it is a particular group of people who are facing racial prejudice or maybe it's a family that's experiencing domestic violence. I don't know. What I do know is this, the Holy Spirit calls us often, uh, uh, you know, as the body of Christ to to live into and to lament and to groan for different things. I think there's something beautiful in there because what it means is that as the whole body of Christ, not just us, but like uh, at the larger scale that the Holy Spirit is is able to groan within us for a whole range of, 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 of things that are broken 
in the world. Yes, of course, there's times we need to stand up and corporately lament something together. Like, for example, this shooting in Atlanta. We need to just voice that and lament that together. But also acknowledge God is not calling you individually, me individually, to lament every single thing that's going on around us. I don't know that we have the, I don't believe we have the capacity for that, but I believe he is calling us to lament for something, for some things. And maybe you don't know what that is, but I think that's the challenge. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to groan his lament within us. We need to let that lament linger and, and, and shape our mind and our prayers and our reading and our discussions, our conversations. We need to take what we've been learning about lament and let the Spirit lead us into areas where perhaps we have never gone before. Or it could be an area that you know really clearly, this is where the Holy Spirit has shaped my heart. This is where I need to lean into lament and cry out to the Lord and, and act more directly as the priestly intercessor for these people or this area of suffering. And, of course, from priestly intercession, we need to let the Holy Spirit move us into priestly action. Because, you know, we're not called just to cry out as God's royal priests. God has commissioned us to rule by the Spirit, to reign in Christ, which means that we're called to act within God's groaning creation now in the name of Jesus Christ and for the sake of those who are hurting and broken. Just as we learned last week where we talked about how we need to show up and share in and, and, and then stand for, it's really the same thing. We need to listen and intercede. And we need to act. Our vocation to rule begins now in Christ and by the Spirit because Jesus himself is ruling now. And as we know from Genesis through, G, through to Jesus, this ruling and reigning business isn't about domination. It's not about an exertion of power. I mean, that is where the church always has gone off the tracks. It's never that. Rather, it's about loving those who are hurting. It's about standing up for those who are being disregarded. It's about speaking in the name of Christ against the powers of darkness that would destroy anyone or do violence to anyone who would, who would deface or destroy an Asian woman or disregard ruin an indigenous woman. It's about acting in concrete ways for the sake of anyone that God calls us to see, to lament for, to intercede for and advocate for. As we're consistently told throughout the scriptures, we were reminded in 1 John, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth which means getting our hands dirty. It means embracing the inconvenience and the sacrifice of advocacy. It it means that we can't just be satisfied that we've advocated on behalf of the poor or the suffering because we posted something on social or we said a word prayer to God about it or we felt bad when we saw it in the news. That's not good enough. I don't mean that in a harsh way. I just mean God is calling us into something deeper. He's calling us as priestly intercessors to become priestly advocates. We need to embrace our God-ordained, Jesus-established vocation as his royal priests. So practically speaking, what are you going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Well, a couple questions, and then we're going to pray. What is, for you, for you, what is the Spirit 
lamenting within you? What can you hear? Now, you may already know what that is. And there already could be something that the Spirit is working. It could be that you think, I don't feel anything. That's okay. Because the Spirit doesn't want you to stay there. But, but let's start by asking that, at least. Holy Spirit, what are you already lamenting within me? And then, go to the next question. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to hear and feel so that I can join you in your lament? Pray that honestly. Pray that openly. Let the Holy Spirit take you somewhere. The Holy Spirit is groaning within us. He is groaning within the world. And the groanings of those who are suffering and hurting are all around us. He's calling us as his people to lament along with him. I invite you to prayerfully read the news. Not reacting through all the ways we are now reacting ideologically or politically. Put that all aside and become the royal priest that God has called you and I to be. And engage the kind of news that we receive, the kind of publications we read, as an invitation of the Holy Spirit to feel his heart for the world. Let the Spirit lead you into lament, to groan within you, to lead you into a time of prayer and intercession, and then, and it might take a while, to show you where you and I need to act into our vocation as his priests, his royal priests, reigning in creation. Listen, friends, I hope you heard my heart today. I don't know exactly where this all lands. We talked about big, sweeping things, and it's overwhelming, and I get it. I'm overwhelmed by it. But I do believe that we need to receive from the Spirit His lament so that He can lead us to be who He's called us to be in this world. And so if you will, join me now and let's pray together as we finish this message. Let's lament together some of the things, just some of the things that the Spirit has brought to my heart and attention, but I think to ours as well. Would you join me? Holy Spirit, I thank you for calling us to be your royal priests. And as your people today, we do lament the evil and suffering that we are seeing displayed around us even today. We do lament the anti-Asian violence and racism that has been experienced by our brothers and sisters down through the centuries and, and it was highlighted tragically again this week in the shooting in Atlanta, but we're reminded by our brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, that this is something that has been persisting, in particular, Lord, during COVID, the ways that your precious people have been targeted because of the hate and the anger around COVID. Lord Jesus, we lament that. We lament that. We stand with them. Lord Jesus, we do lament the missing, the many missing and murdered indigenous girls and women across Canada, across the United States, precious people loved by you, known by you, and yet often not seen, often not regarded. Lord Jesus, we lament their, their loss. We lament the, 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 their lives lost. We lament the devastation that this has brought to their communities, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we lament together 
uh, the, the, the struggle that is happening globally and nationally around mental illness, around suicide. Things, some things have been particularly sharpened during this pandemic. We lament also domestic violence for the same result. Things that were happening before now spiked due to this pandemic. Lord Jesus, we lament that brokenness that, that is, is being experienced right within places and homes, the hearts and lives of people, and it's bringing devastating loss. We lament that, Lord Jesus. We do lament, Lord, those who are struggling today with just lack of basic resources, lack of clean water, lack of secure housing, lack of education, lack of just protections in place for human flourishing. We recognize here where we live that we often don't realize, we often forget that there are people who face each day insecure, who face each day in ill health because there are just basic things that that we take for granted that they don't have. And we lament that. That is not your desire. That is not your plan. That represents evil and suffering. It also represents a failure on our part to care. And we lament that, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, there are so many more things that we could lament. And we, we just want to say that we, we ask that you would grow that within us that you would grow your laments within us as a church, as the Erickson Covenant Church. Lord Jesus, we also confess and repent of the ways that we have ignored or explained away or resisted or even reacted. Even in our unwillingness to even acknowledge some of these things as suffering, as genuine evil. Lord Jesus, we repent of that. and We lament that. We ask that you would bring correction and discipline to us, to our hearts, to our lives, to our minds so that we can be the royal priest that you've called us to be. Move us, Lord Jesus, into our role as your royal priests. In you, Lord Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit, move us to groan, move us to lament, but move us to love and to act. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.